coming up on this episode of the Happy Pair Podcast. We're not weak. We don't lack willpower. We're just humans trying to get by each day. You know, the, the world is tough at the moment. The world is difficult. We don't need to beat ourselves up, restrict ourselves even more, make life even more difficult by putting ourselves on a punishing health regime at the moment. Let's be kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves. Welcome back to the Happy Pair Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve. And we are most grateful for your attention. This podcast is in association with Super Value. And as we say always, please continue to give us feedback on social channels, what bits you're liking, any guests you'd like us to have, and any changes you want to see in it. Uh, this week, we have a real treat for you in this episode, our friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. He's a medical doctor. He runs Europe's number one health and wellness podcast and has just written a new book. He's got four best-selling books we discuss how to deal with cravings is something we all struggle with and he really kind of gets beneath it and gives us wonderful tools to deal with we talk about the importance of nature why there's fractals in nature that really help us reduce our cortisol levels and really help us buffer against stress it was really basic and lots of practical takeaways in it. he talks about the importance of having a strong mindset and finally the top foods we should be eating in 2021 stay tuned this episode is wonderful hope you enjoyed as much as we did once again, please let us know on social what you think of this episode. Share with other people. And we've done some other fantastic episodes. So please do check them out too. We give you Rangan Chatterjee. We're going to jump into this with a kind of fun question. Okay, if you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be and why? You know what? I tell you what, I, I'm, I'm trying to rely on my feelings more these days. And I tell you the vegetable that's coming up, I don't know why because I can't see it anywhere, is an aubergine. Because an aubergine is tasty, it's succulent. Yeah. Beautiful colour, distinctive. Distinctive colour, exactly. Like me, distinctive colour like me. So um, Beautiful. Yeah, it would be aubergine. That's a good one. We were talking beforehand, I was reckoning you're more of a root veg. You're very earthy, you're grounded, you're sweet, there's, there's a substantialness about it. Yeah, but you know what? And if, of course, if, if, if I had to think with my rational brain, I could make a case for a root veg like you just did but what I did was just and something I'm really working on is really just to try and go with the flow and just you ask that question see what comes up don't overthink it an aubergine came up so that's what I went with so, so you're kind of almost working more on your intuition as opposed to your rational medical trained mind yeah 100% and it's it's something that is a if I'm honest guys it's something I spent a lot of time thinking about and working on um or, or I certainly have done. I really feel most of my life I've been stuck in my thinking brain, my rational brain. And I think that's fine. And I think it's taken me pretty far. And I think it's it's been great. But what I'm really working on these days is trying to switch that off a lot more and actually go, well, how does this feel to me? What, how does this situation feel? Really tune into my feelings, my body. Um, I know we're getting quite deep at the start of this conversation, but really it's what it's what I'm working on a lot of the moment. So yeah, it's good to be able to test that out on a podcast with you guys. Oh, that's brilliant. And it, it probably goes in tune with, I remember when we were over visiting you pre-corona and we were in your house and you were talking about growing up in school and there was a, a huge emphasis on study and kind of building your, your brain. But you 
often there wasn't room to play or to climb trees. And you mentioned that you were down in London climbing trees. And it was something that was like, wow, Rangan, that is so cool. I'm, I, I really admire your openness to learn and grow. It's funny how you remember that. Because yeah, I remember when you guys came to my house and we had some food together and you brought some of your delicious food for me. And we, we sat on the floor in my living room with our mics and we just recorded. That was before it was a video show. And... Um, I remember saying that to you guys now. I, hadn't, I don't think I've thought about it since then. But, you know, my parents were immigrants from India to the UK. And my dad came over in the 1960s. And his desire and my mum's desire when she came over in the 1970s was, you know, we want to give our kids a better life. And their way of giving me and my brother a better life than them was to do well at school. So, you know, that was their focus with us is you've got to do well at school. You've got to come top of the class because if you come top of the class and if you do well with your grades, you won't have a problem in life. Now, I don't think that's strictly true, actually. But I understand where that sentiment came from with them. And I really feel, you know, I think I said to you guys that in our holidays, my dad worked so, so hard. He rarely took holidays, but we would go on a summer holiday each year. And dad used to love to get in a car from the north of England with my mum and me and my brother, and we would drive to Dover, we'd get a ferry over to, to the to the continent, and we'd just drive around for two or three weeks, and we'd look around museums and cities, because, you know, mum and dad had never left India, so they wanted to see Milan and Paris and, and Rome, so I've got memories of holidays just traipsing around cities with my mum and dad, and now I think about the contrast with my own kids and we want to get out into nature. I want to get them into the ocean. I want to get them up trees into, into natural space. And I think I'm desperate because I, I, I have that craving because I think it's something I didn't have as a kid. I, I don't, you know, I, I love my parents. I think they did a, a great job at bringing me up. They did the best that they could. But I'm definitely feeling as I'm getting older now I'm really drawn to nature. And I think part of that is because I didn't have much of it growing up. Really, really great answer. Um, I, I also remember we did a talk together in Dunleary and you were phenomenal and so polished and so informed. And one bit that always stuck with me, you spoke about looks and the need for kind of natural light and how greater that is than normal light. And you also spoke about the importance of fractals, this shape in nature to help reduce our cortisol levels. I'm just wondering, can you talk about that? And I think that's so in fitting what you're talking about, the need to be closer to nature. Yeah, it's funny. I think all humans are drawn to nature. I'm making the case that I'm drawn to it because I didn't have it. But frankly, if I did have it, I probably would still be drawn to it because humans have evolved in nature. We are wired to be in nature. And, you know, fractals is a is is a great way of thinking about this and understanding this. So when a human being goes into nature, levels of the stress hormone cortisol go down. Now, there's many reasons why this may be, but one of the reasons is because there's something called fractals. So fractals are these geometric shapes. Now, you only get these shapes in nature. You get them in rivers, in coastlines, in lakes, in trees, in leaves, in grass, that's where you see fractals. You don't get them on like a table or a laptop or, you know, a building. And when a human eye looks at a fractal, it lowers levels of the stress hormone cortisol. So, you know, many people are feeling stressed these days, they're feeling quite anxious. And getting a daily dose of nature is one of the fastest and most effective ways at bringing your stress levels down. And here's another little fact, which a lot of people don't know, is that 
If you can get into nature like you guys do on most mornings, amazing. But if you can't, even looking at a picture of nature still lowers levels of the stress hormone cortisol. I don't think to the same degree, but it still does something, which is presumably why Microsoft and Apple all have these gorgeous pictures of uh, nature as our screensavers. So we're wired to be in nature. And it's a, it, for most of us, it's a quick, easy and free way to focus on our health and well-being, both physical and mental. Building on that in terms of stress, stress, because so many people are stressed nowadays, what are some tips that you could give or some basics of dealing with stress? Because as you said, it's so rampant nowadays. And you wrote an amazing book on stress, which I still look to occasionally, which is brilliant. Yeah, no, I'm passionate about stress because, you know, my broad philosophy is that there are four main pillars of health. Uh, food, movement, sleep, and relaxation. And what we should be looking at is all four of these things. We don't need to be necessarily perfect in any one area, but we need to pay attention to each area. And I always say to people, and I'd say to anyone listening to this right now, if you want to improve your health and well-being, have a think about which one of those four pillars do you need the most work in? Because most of us intuitively know which one that is. Um, but actually, we often move away from it and we go, oh, you know, I, I kind of like my diet. And some people, their diet's actually pretty good. It's like 80, 85% really good. But they're really stressing out about making it 5% better. Whereas neglecting the fact that they're stressed out every day and they're only sleeping five hours a night. So my approach is always like, well, look, if your diet's 85% good, keep it the way it is. You're going to get more benefits for your health if you work on your stress levels or your sleep. And so that's my overall approach. Now, I happen to think that stress is probably the one, particularly in the current times in which we're living, but I think even before that, it's actually one of the most troubling, uh, not troubling, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the pillars that I think has the most impact on us. And because we can't really see it, in the same way that we can see the food on our plate or whether we we know whether we've gone for a 30-minute walk or not. So I think we often neglect it. And often stress is hidden and is it's this these worries going around our mind. So in terms of the simple things that we can do, there's all kinds of things. So you've got to remember what stress is. Stress is basically your body thinking that it's under attack, right? That's what your body thinks, you know, the stress response, you know, you know, hundreds of thousand years ago to keep us safe. So you're in your tribe, a wild predator is approaching the tribe. In an instant, your stress response kicks into gear. Various things happen to help keep you safe. That is what is happening for many of us these days when we turn on the news or we look at our email inbox or we go on our social media channels. For some of us, our body is reacting as if there's a wild predator attacking, but there isn't. It's just that our lives are stressing us out. So in terms of practical things, if we start in the morning, I think a morning routine is one of the best ways to insulate yourself from the stresses of the day ahead because you're not getting rid of stress. Stress is going to be there. Um, but I think if you can have a really nice morning routine, and a morning routine, guys, just to be really clear, it can last 20 minutes if you've got 20 minutes. But if you only got five minutes, you can do a lot in five minutes. And I say to people, when you're thinking about a morning routine, think about the three M's, okay? So the first M is mindfulness. The second M is movement. And the third M is mindset. Just think about those three things. Um, and actually, I'll tell you about one of my patients 
who said to me, said, Dr. Chastity, this is pre-COVID time. She said, look, I, I get what you're saying about morning routines, but I'm a busy mum. I've got to get my kids to school. I don't have time then. I said, okay, all right. Um, would you have five minutes? And she was like, well, yeah, I've got five minutes, but can I really do anything in that time? I said, yeah, absolutely. Let's think about those three M's. So what would she do? She'd get up. First thing she would do for one minute, she'd do this uh, this breath that I'm a big fan of that, that I call the three, four, five breath. So for one minute, she'd do breathing in for three, holding for four, and breathing out for five. Okay, even as I do that, I can feel calm relaxation i'm just describing it. i'm not even doing it just, even you saying it i'm actually suddenly breathing differently so yeah she does really one accurate. minute of that doesn't take long okay then what she does for two minutes she does one sequence of some yoga flow i think she was doing part of the sun salutation sequence from recollection just for two minutes right and then for two minutes she had a pile of books i said if you've got some favorite books, she goes, yeah, I've got a few. I said, keep them somewhere visible in your kitchen. And then just for two minutes, read a couple of pages that make you feel good. That's all she did. But she had a noticeable reduction in her stress levels. And for her, she had really bad eczema. Her eczema over a few weeks went down by more than 50%. And that I'm convinced it's because stress was driving a lot of her skin flare-ups and simply reducing her stress levels helped her skin problems get better. So that's a simple way for everyone at the start of the day. You know, if you've got half an hour, you can make this 3Ms last half an hour. Uh, journaling is a brilliant, simple, free way of managing stress. I was doing a bit of journaling this morning with my two kids. I'm really trying to instill this as a habit into the kids that if you're worried and you've got these anxieties, and often we're worried about things that we don't even know we're worried about. But if you write down in a journal for a few minutes and just say, you know, what's going on in your mind, it's amazing what starts to come out. We know from the research that you are literally taking your stress out of your brain and putting it out onto paper so you feel lighter and less stressed afterwards. Movement, movement is one of the best ways to de-stress. You've got to remember that actually when your body's getting stressed, even though it could be to your email inbox, your body is is preparing yourself to run. That's what the stress response does. You're preparing to run from that tiger. But if you're getting stressed out looking at your emails, you, your, body's, your body is expecting you to burn off that stress energy, but you're not. And this is why I think one of the most impactful things that we can do for our health, particularly if we're working from home on screens a lot of the time, as many people are these days, particularly in these kind of lockdown times, go for a 15-minute walk every lunchtime. It is just such a simple thing that will walk off some of the stress in the morning. It will expose you to natural light, which is really important to help you sleep in the evening. And when you come back, you'll be more creative and more productive. So it's a low-tech intervention, but it's a very, very effective one. So practical. Excellent. Amazing, amazing. So you've got two kids, and I know you've been really focusing on being a father and being a better parent. And I know you've had multiple incredible guests on your podcast. So could you maybe share some of the learnings in your own experience as a parent? Because I'm sure lots of people listening are parents and we all kind of consistently need to be reminded of good habits and practices we can do as parents. Yeah, and I think as, as, as you were saying that, and I think about answering this question, I think, well, these will serve as good reminders to me because I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a, you know, I am imperfect. I'm perfectly imperfect like all of us, right? Right. Um, so I 
aspire to to be as good a parent as I possibly can. But sometimes I will fall short of the ideal that I would ideally like. But that's okay because I used to beat myself up over that. But now I've learned to let it go and go, okay, look, tomorrow you can wake up and you can do a better job tomorrow than you did today. Um, So the biggest thing I've learned, and I know, you know, you guys have also got a lot of experience with kids. But for me, the biggest thing I've learned in 10 years of parenting is that kids don't do what you tell them to do. They do what they see you doing. And so I think having kids for me more than anything has really highlighted areas in my life that I wish to sort out and improve on. Because, um, I don't know, if I suddenly hear a phrase that I say being repeated back to me by my kids, I can either tell my kids off and say, don't speak like that, or I can go, "Uh, wait a minute, they kind of learned this from me. And actually, the way to change that is to just to remove that from my own vocabulary. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I've I've learned that when I stress out with the kids or things bother me, it's not them. It's because I haven't managed my own stress levels. And actually, I'm a bit stressed over, you know, maybe over committing myself and having too much on. And it's easy to take it out on the kids, but it's not them. You know, it's it's a mirror back onto me at what I can do better. So in terms of some practical things, something that we do pretty much every dinner time is we have a gratitude game and we all go around the table Uh, My wife, myself, and my two kids, we all have to answer three questions. What have I done today to make somebody else happy? What has somebody else done today to make me happy? And what have I learned today? It's so simple, but it is so, so effective because all of us are drawn to negative memories. And, you know, we we have a negativity bias in our brain, which served us very well for most of our evolution, you know, oh, where's the tiger? What's going to attack us? Yeah, we need to be attuned to the negative. But actually, these days, for most of us, a lot of the time, we really don't need to be. And so we need a daily practice of positivity. So this helps all of us shift our attention to the positive. But it does something else. It helps connect the four of us together in a way that I don't think we would have done without that game, because we start to learn about each other in a very meaningful way. I always remember when my daughter a couple of years ago said to me, when she was thinking about what has somebody else done for me? And she was thinking, she said, oh, daddy, you know, Annabelle kept the door open for me as I walked out, as I went out to to play at lunchtime today. And I thought, that's so awesome because I never would have heard that from her if I just said, how was your day? What did you get up to at school? And it was just really nice to sort of learn from you know what she was learning in her day and what she was learning do you know what I mean so I kind of feel that was really nice and I think they learn from things that my wife and I are struggling with or what we've learned so that's one of my favorite parts of the day I already mentioned I I try and journal with my kids in the morning if they're up I say hey guys should we try and do a bit of journaling just two minutes write down our thoughts Um, the other thing I'm really big on is undistracted time with the kids. So just like you guys, just like many people listening, I'm very, very busy. I've got lots going on. And I've looked at some of the research into this as well, but I really strongly feel that the quality of the time we spend with our children or frankly, our loved ones, our partners, whoever it is, quality is probably more important than quantity. So I can be, in inverse commas, with my kids and kind of distracted with my phone and what's going on with emails and Instagram. 
Or I can actually leave it in another room and go, for the next half hour, I'm just going to be totally present with the kids. And actually, even if it's less time, I really feel there's much more value from that. And I think that's a lesson, frankly, that goes beyond kids that, you know, if you've got a partner, um, so many of us are so busy doing what we need to do. We're physically with our partners in the same room, in the same bed. But if we're on our devices, mentally, we're a million miles away in our own customized worlds. And so, you know, that kind of um, undistracted time with loved ones, including kids, I think is really, really important to me and something I prioritize every single day. And so obviously you're a medical doctor and have dealt with patients for many years. If you were kind of giving advice to your, imagine to your son, say your son or your daughter are 18 years old and you're kind of trying to distill all your wisdom as a doctor and to kind of guide them the root of all diseases to simplify, to really, really simplify it. What would you kind of say to them? Okay, so if I was talking to my kids, and let's, you know, this is not prepared, let's see what happens. I would say <laughs> something like this. I said, listen, guys, you know, daddy always talks about health and well-being and how important it is for us to live these happy and healthy lives. Well, one of the most important things and I'd say, as you know, because we talk about this a lot, is always remember in any situation in life, you always have a choice in how you react. And if you really choose carefully how you react in a situation, you can change the entire perspective of something. Every situation has two stories and two sides to it at least. Always pick the side that works best for you. Don't go down in that victim mindset and say the world's against me and this always happens to me. Always look for the learning opportunity in every situation because when you master your ability to make a choice in every situation, you master your life. When you feel good about yourself, you make better decisions. You're happier, you're kinder to the people around you. And I would say, look, guys, there's four things I want you to focus on each day. You don't need to be perfect, but think about the food with which you're nourishing your body and you're nourishing your minds. Think about, has that food come from nature? Is it a whole food? Is it something that makes you feel good after you've eaten it? Concentrate on those as much as you can. Have you gone outside and moved today? And if you haven't, make sure that you go for at least 15 or 20 minutes so you get outside and move. And that's why as a family, we always have a walk together every day. Sleep. I know it's tempting, guys, to stay up late. There's all kinds of fun things to do. But when you sleep better, your life becomes better. You've got more energy the next day. You make better food choices. You're more likely to want to go for a walk when you've slept better. And the final one is stress. You know how much daddy loves talking about stress. You know how important I think it is to manage that. Think about one thing you do each day that helps you lower your stress levels. It could be journaling. It could be a bit of meditation or it simply could be jumping up and down for a couple of minutes. I love that. That was, you really got into the, the role. Yeah, Thank I don't you, know what Ryan. came out. I just imagine I was sort of talking to my kids and I don't know if that works for you, but I hope it does. No, that was, that was perfect, even beyond perfect. Um, so you've just written a wonderful book, Feel Great, Lose, right? I haven't taken the time to read it yet, but I really will. Um, on the topic of we're starting a new year, many people have goals. How would you suggest people dealing with cravings? Because it's something we all struggle with. Yeah, 
cravings is a is, is a really really good one and you're right i i'm no different from anyone else i have cravings particularly for sugar a lot of the time and so the important thing with cravings is what's really going on and in the new book there's this really nice exercise that i call the freedom exercise uh, the three f's basically and let's just talk it through so f- the first thing with cravings is what is really going on and this is a wider point with food for me, and which is, you know, a big part of this new book is this idea that we used to use food to fill a hole in our stomachs. Now we use food to fill a hole in our hearts. And I think we really need to understand that if we want to change our behavior around food. So let's say somebody is sitting on the sofa at 9 p.m. in the evening, they're watching TV, and they've got a real craving to have some ice cream. Okay, fine. What that person doesn't need is a lecture from me or anyone else that actually ice cream in the evening at 9pm when done consistently is unlikely to be helping them with their weight goals or their overall health and well-being. I'm not, I'm not demonizing ice cream. I'm just simply saying that most people who are doing that regularly know that. They'd probably rather not be doing that. So the three Fs is simply this. Next time you have a craving, just take a, just take a pause for a moment. You can write it down if you want. You can just think about it. What am I really feeling at the moment? Am I really hungry for food or am I hungry for something else? Am I bored? Am I stressed? Am I lonely? Have I had a a bad day at work, stuck on Zoom as I've not been outside and this is my little reward to myself to help me feel better? You know, what is it? And then go ahead and eat it, right? Eat it and enjoy it, but just start to bring in that awareness. That's the first F. The second F is feed. Now that you know the emotion understand how that food that you choose to eat or your craving feeds that emotion. Ah, when I'm stressed and don't feel good and I eat ice cream, I feel better for a few minutes. Okay, cool. Go ahead and eat it. But at least you're now starting to understand. Ah, I get it. I don't need a new diet book necessarily. What I need is to understand that actually ice cream is helping me deal with my stress. And the third F is find. Now that you know how food feeds that feeling, can you find a a non-food behavior to feed that same feeling? So next time you're stressed, instead of going for ice cream, can you do something else? Maybe you want to run a bath instead and have a bath. Maybe you're not moved your body, so you want to do a quick two minutes of skipping, or you want to do a 10-minute yoga flow from YouTube. Maybe you want to read a book. Maybe you need to give your partner a cuddle because actually you've not spent any quality time with them. Uh, maybe you need to go into a different room. The brain is, a, is what we call an associative organ. So it, it starts to associate certain behaviors in certain environments. So if you are used to snacking on the sofa in front of the television, okay, I understand that. Maybe if you've got the luxury of having a different room, maybe you want to go to a different room for a few weeks whilst you're trying to change that behavior. So I love that exercise because, yes, it's for cravings on food, but it works for anything. It works for alcohol. It works for if we're spending more time on social media than we might wish to. It helps us kind of tap into, oh, why have I just spent two and a half hours on Instagram do I really want to? I may want to. I may go, I love being on Instagram and I get loads of great information and that's completely fine. But maybe it's like, you know what? I feel quite lonely and isolated at the moment. And actually this is helping give me a bit of connection. Maybe, you know what I'll do? I'll phone my mum or I'll phone one of my best mates for a half hour natter instead. And I promise you that because I've been using this sort of stuff with patients for years, 
It is so, so powerful. It's, it's my favorite kind of exercise. Simple to do, easy to remember, and very, very effective. And even, even I can relate those three Fs too. I've noticed in the afternoon sometimes I feel a bit tired. I feel a bit crappy. And previously I would have resorted to sugar or would have kind of just, probably my moods would have changed and I might have got a little more irritable. And I've noticed recently if I just sit still for 10 minutes, like actually meditate for 10 minutes in the afternoon, I can feel the tension dissipate in my body and my whole nervous system relaxes and I enjoy myself much more. So I'm probably nicer to other people. Mate, I love that. I, I absolutely love hearing that. And it's so powerful to hear that from, you know, someone like yourself who so many people look up to uh, for all the great stuff you guys do in terms of recipes and the advice you guys are giving. It, it, the, the other theme there that I heard, and again, this is the big underlying theme within Feel Great, Lose Weight, the new book, is, is basically this idea that we're not weak. We don't lack willpower. We're just humans trying to get by each day. You know, the, the world is tough at the moment. The world is difficult. We don't need to beat ourselves up, restrict ourselves even more, make life even more difficult by putting ourselves on a punishing health regime at the moment. Let's be kind to ourselves and compassionate to ourselves. If you did go and actually eat the sugar, it doesn't make you a bad person. It means you're human and you, you were, you're stressed and actually the sugar helps you manage that. But now that you've got that awareness, you've got a choice. Do you still want to have the sugar? And on some days you might go, yeah, soda. I just want to have this. Fine. But on other days you might go, actually, you know what? I did that for the last few days. It doesn't make me feel great afterwards. Maybe I'll try something like 10 minutes of sitting still or I'll go for a quick walk or I'll do star jumps for two minutes. And I lo- it's really about a compassionate approach to health and well-being. I think for me, it, it, it's about what is the goal? So anyone can make a short-term health change, right? We can all follow a diet for two or three weeks and white knuckle our way through it and feel better at the end and go, yeah, I've lost a bit of weight. I've got more energy. I'm sleeping better. But where is that coming from? Is it coming from a place of loathing yourself? Is it coming from a place of where you don't feel good enough in who you are? And therefore that short-term fix of your physical physique changing, go, yeah, you know, I am worth something because now I've lost that weight and I can, you know, I can see a bit of my six pack. You know, where is it coming from? Because a lot of the research that I'm now reading about is actually for that long-term change that frankly what, that's what most of us are really looking for. We're not really looking to drop a dress size in January and then put it all back on and more in April. I don't think people are really looking for that. We're looking for a real change in how we feel about ourselves, energy, mood, well-being. And I think where does that health change come from? If it comes from a place of love and gratitude, you know, that's much more likely to be long-lasting. That's still going to be working for you in March and April and May and June. And so that's something I'm, I really spend a lot of time thinking about. The, the research is, is pretty clear on this. In terms of, you mentioned relationships. Time and time again, the relationship shows that one of the most important, if not the most important factor for a happy life is the quality of your relationships. And again, that's a theme that's come into this entire conversation, even the stuff you were asking me at the start with kids or what I prioritize, I was talking about undistracted time, whether it's me on my podcast, me with my wife, me with my children, even me with you guys right now. 
this is much better than a couple of WhatsApps we might send to each other. That's all great. But we're kind of connecting through the screen because we're spending a good hour chatting, listening, responding. And that's how we nurture quality relationships. And again, going back to what we were saying about cravings, sometimes we're lonely, right? Sometimes we're, we're lacking that human connection. And that's why we try and fill that gap, that hole in our heart. We try and plug that with sugar or biscuits or ice cream. But maybe, and one of the tips in the, in, in the new book is connect each day with another human being, even if it's just for five minutes. So that could be it could be for five minutes, you get on with your best mates and you're WhatsApping together for five minutes. You're getting all together at the same time. That's what me and some of my uni mates do. We go, we'll all jump on at 8.30. And for five, 10 minutes, we're just WhatsApping and having a blast together. It could be a phone call to one of your friends. It could be a phone call to your mother. But it's that real meaningful connection. And I'm not anti-tech at all. But the sort of connection we can get, like liking and commenting on an Instagram post, that could be great. But it's, it's rarely the same as when we have that sort of meaningful conversation. So I say, even for five minutes a day, connect with another human being. Uh, and again, when we think about connection, we look at the research that the feeling of being lonely, which many people are feeling at the moment more than ever, is as harmful for your health. And it's thought to be as harmful for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So we, we talk about this stuff as being soft. But actually, when we look at the science... There's some pretty hard health outcomes from being lonely, right? Your health, you know, I think you're 50% more likely to die earlier if you feel lonely, 30% more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke. And so all I'm saying is, let's not use that to scare us. Let's go, well, a simple gratitude game with the people we live with, if we live with other people, can be really helpful at connecting you. Five minutes of undistracted time with your partner or your child can really help connect you. And if you live by yourself, and I know many people will be listening to this who go, oh, that's all very well, but I don't, I, don't, I don't live with anyone. Well, this is where technology can be great. Have you got anyone in your life, whether a parent, a brother, an old friend, and reach out to that person? A lot of us feel scared to reach out. We go, oh, no, I don't want to bother them. You know what? The research that I'm diving into at the moment shows that actually we underestimate what the impact will be. Reach out. People want to hear from you. People will not think you're a burden. They want to hear how you're feeling. And if you open up with your friends, they will open up with you. So you're someone that's, you know, if most people are looking from the outside, they'll go, quote unquote, you're very successful. You're a medical doctor. You've built a podcast. You've published books. Like you are, you're six foot seven. You're a big, tall, handsome man. So outwardly, looking at you it's very easy to go wrong and strategy very successful man i'm very interested to beneath the surface what's your definition of success for yourself as a father as a human looking in the mirror at yourself each evening yeah i think that's a great question and it's something that i spent a lot of 2020 thinking about um and and right at the end of last year one of my friends Ian panja sort of interviewed me on my own podcast about a lot of these ideas. And um, the, one of the things I, I was shared with him is last last summer, actually last August, I went off social media for 18 days. Now, 18 days is a bit random. I hadn't planned to go for that long. I'd planned for maybe a week, but I was enjoying it so much. The calm, the peace, I, did, I just didn't want to get back on. I was like, no, I'm, quite, I'm kind of enjoying this. But what was really interesting is what happened in those 18 days 
is after the first few days of, you know, kind of trying to look for the Instagram app and not finding it because I deleted it from my phone, once I'd got out of that habit, I really started to tap into what I was feeling about things, not what the world was feeling, but what do I really feel about things? And the big thing I was thinking about then and last year was, what is success? How does society define success? Because you, you just nailed it. By society's definition of success, I'm very successful, right? I've got a, a, a good job. You know, I've got four Sunday Times best-selling books. I've got a huge podcast that people are listening to, right? On the outside, it all looks great. But a lot of what drove me for years was an internal feeling of not feeling good enough and not feeling enough. So actually, this external validation from you know, other people helped me to fill that hole in my heart, made me feel enough. And actually, I've realized over the last couple of years, and it's easy to say this once you've hit success, right? But none of that makes me happy. Like, I'm proud of it. I am never happier than when I have a relaxed day. Well, let's say I, I, I don't know, I get up, I've got an hour to myself in the morning to meditate, to move, to do some nice reading. Um, I have a lovely breakfast with my wife and kids. We go for a long walk in nature together, might play a board game, I might record a podcast. Like, that's what makes me happy. And I thought, well, if I don't stop and define success for myself, I'll always not feel enough. And many of us are walking around not feeling enough. We think more. I want more followers. I want more this. I want more money. I want a better car. I want a better holiday. But when does that end? You know, if you're driven by more money, for example, and I get, you know, if people don't have much, you want a bit more so you can actually take care of yourself, put a roof over your head. I understand that. I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. But if money is your metric of success, well, there's going to be always someone who's got more than you. You know, until you get to Jeff Bezos, there's always someone who's making more than you, right? So I realized that for me, but also for society at large, we all have a responsibility, I think, to define success for us. Otherwise, we never know if we've made it. And so for me, success looks like, have I spent undistracted time with my kids today? How many meals this week have I sat down and had in a relaxed way with my wife and my children How many times have I accessed nature this week? How much have I actually loved myself this week? And I know that sounds really woo-woo, but the the question, uh, I remember at the the end of that podcast with Ian Panji, he said to me, so the new book's about to come out. Um, I'm sure you're hoping it's a big success. And I said something like this. I said, yeah, mate, of course, you know, I I want it to be successful because that means it's going to be helping a lot of people. But the truth is, is that I've really worked over the last few years on letting go of the outcome of things, whether it's health goals or book goals or podcast goals. It's very much a case of process over outcome, journey over destination. And I said, listen, what can I control? I can control writing the best book that I possibly could in the time allocated. What happens to it now, it's kind of out of my control. If 10 people buy it, right? It doesn't make it a bad book. And if 10,000 people buy it, it doesn't make it a great book. Um, it, It is what it is. And what I said to him was this. I said, listen, these days are why I feel calmer, why I can lead from the heart these days, uh, as opposed to the head is because 
I like the person that looks back at me in the mirror each morning. I like that guy. So if this book fails, and you know, I just found out last night that it's number one on the nonfiction charts last week, it's doing great commercially. But you know what? It doesn't do much to me anymore that. It, it sh- you, you think it should do. But I've had that for my last three books and I've realized, you know what? My kids don't care about that. My wife doesn't care about that. Ultimately, all that matters to me is that I like the person that's looking back at me in the mirror. And whether this book fails, whether it does well commercially or not, I still like the guy who's looking back at me. And so that's my definition of success. It wasn't very succinct, was it? But that's kind of... No, it's fabulous. That's my thoughts on success. And even even this was the first year, me and Stephen suffer from the same... A lot of the things which you said in terms of being driven from possibly not feeling enough and every New Year's uh, Eve or whatever, we'd write long lists of goals for the year, for the following year. And they'd be, you know, huge, big achievement, external validation type things. And this year we wrote two, meditate more and slow down. That was it. Like, and, and they're both like, they're not measurable but they're like, if we get those bits right, everything else doesn't may, may, probably matter I, as much. I, I love hearing that. And that's so weird because uh, I did a podcast a couple of days ago and someone asked me the same question about, have you got any New Year's resolutions? I was like, actually, no, I don't. And that's kind of unlike me. I'm, I've very much been this kind of goal setter. This is what I'm going to do. And the fact that you guys have come to that conclusion and I've come to that conclusion, makes me think, is that, is there a change going on? Is that just us because of the industry in which we're in and the sort of things we do and the fact that with these large profiles you get, you know, you have to often question yourself because actually I certainly know from my own perspective that having a public profile in the UK, I think it fast tracks your growth, your personal growth, because actually it can it can tear you up and spit you out. Like if you really need external validation to make yourself feel good, as I have done for many years, then what happens when those negative comments come as they do? Oh, I realize, well, I'm a prisoner now. I'm a prisoner to other people because if they say good things, I'm happy. And if they say bad things, I'm depressed. So actually, I don't want to be a prisoner anymore. I want to free myself up from that. And that is from learning to love the person who's here. So I guess my question back to you guys is, is there something going on in the world where people like you guys, people like me are no longer making resolutions or we're just being a bit kinder to ourselves? Yeah, I think I think with this pandemic, I was reading Sarah Wilson's new book and she had a nice expression that it's almost like COVID-19 is making us go to our room and sit down and reflect on the lives we're living. It's and like our pos- parents gave it's like us attention. attention. Yeah. No, I love it. Which I, I thought it was very nice. Um, t- two shorter questions just to finish with Rangan. If there were three foods you would recommend for anyone in 2020, what would they be? And they're foods for 2021, by the way, not 2020. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm still adjusting to that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so foods, you know, I'm a whole food fan, you know, minimally processed foods as close to their natural form as possible. Um, Obviously, it depends on your taste. It depends on your budget. But you know what? You know, a nice ripe apple. I love a good apple, you know, an an apple a day. You know what they say about an apple a day? So I'd say consume some apples. Um, Consume, I don't know, I love sweet potatoes. 
you know so i love these rich colors that you get from these these plant foods which i think it really helps to nourish us nourish our gut microbiome nourish uh different parts of our health and so i've gone with what well, apples are sort of greeny red sweet potatoes are sort of orangey i'm, I'm gonna go for a different color um and you know one of my favorites at the moment tender stem broccoli i love it and that's a nice green color so bit of variety there apples broccoli and sweet potatoes does that work perfect perfect uh, last and final question your new book looks fabulous i'm really excited to read it can you just tell us about it i think that's very relevant yeah i mean main point is the look um the reason i wrote it is that when people are trying to lose weight and the book is called feel great lose weight so yes it's written around weight loss for health but the truth is it would help any one of us. You know, even writing it has helped me with my own health. And the order is really interesting. Feel great, lose weight. It's not the other way around because it's, I'm going to help you feel great now. I'm going to help you with your self-esteem, your confidence, with simple, easy daily habits that will build you up and make you feel good. And the inevitable side effects of that will be, if you want it, will be excess weight loss. And so the focus Although it will help people who want to lose weight, the funny thing is, is that weight loss isn't the focus. Health, well-being is the focus and weight loss comes as a side effect. So if anyone's listening to this and they feel like they failed before and they feel weight loss has to be about deprivation, punishment and restriction, this book has been written by me to show you it really doesn't. It can be about enjoyment it can be about compassion it can be about fun you can enjoy the process and in 20 years of seeing patients i can tell you this it is always possible to help somebody lose weight in a responsible way in a sustainable way and in an enjoyable way once you help them find the right approach for them and that's what my book does it helps people figure out what is the right approach for me do i need to work on my diet or actually, do I need to work on my emotions or my sleep or my stress or my environment or how quickly I eat? And I help people design the right plan for them. So, yeah, if anyone's listening and they're interested in that sort of thing, you can uh, pick it up in all the usual places. Thanks a million, Rang, and I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Yeah, you two and, guys, uh, good luck well with the podcast and uh, can't wait till we get to hang out again soon. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Rang. Yeah. You two guys, take it easy. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. I got so many takeaways, so many nuggets of gold. I actually took lots of notes in it. And amazing just to see even our friend Rangan just evolve as this just towering human. Big shout out to Super Value, who we work really closely with and they're such a joy to deal with. We have 50 products in all their stores nationwide. Please share this with anyone you think will get any nuggets of gold out of it. And previous episodes we've done with Joe Wicks, Megan Rossi, Jerry Hussey. They're all wonderful. Do check them out. Next week, we are joined by two people you may not be familiar with, but it was a conversation that we enjoyed so much. It was with Dr. Tara Shine and Madeleine Murray. It was all about how we can stand up for the environment more. Right now, we're living through a climate crisis, and these were simple, practical measures that the ladies were sharing from their business called Change by Degree. Simple little things that we can apply to our daily life to better the environment. I think most of us get so busy with the day-to-day that we forget about, you know, the environment and what how essential it is and how little things done consistently through consistent period of time makes massive difference. Yeah. Thanks for your attention again. Thanks for listening today and uh, wishing you a wonderful see- day and hopefully see you again next week. Cheers.